We don't smoke marijuana. Oh, is it high? High in the in the daytime. Yeah, I know it. That's what I was <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> we don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. We don't let I what is the next line? We don't take our trips. See, without drinking, we're not exactly sure of the words. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Wine Building <laughs> Podcast Studio Network. This will be a first today. Uh, Neil Bogus and his brother Terry are with us live, um, and they brought some accessories. Welcome back to the show again, Neil. This is the, this is the third time now for you. It is, and I want to thank you very much. Uh, you're you're so easy to visit with back and forth. <laughs> it's not like being on a radio show or anything like that. And and I appreciate that. You make everybody feel really good. Well, excellent, Terry. Welcome to the to the studio. It's your first time. Yes, glad to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Um, all right. So you guys started way back. <laughs> well, I, I right? was yeah, I was about two years old when we started this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so take us back um, to the beginning when you guys thought, you know what, we're going to play some music. Well, I guess uh, like most kids uh, our age, we grew up in the 50s mm-hmm. and early 60s. So uh, listening to the transistor radio that came in, uh, we'd be listening to uh, WLS and uh, some of those stations down in Chicago, Clear Channels. Mm-hmm. And so we we really grew up on uh, uh, Dion and the Belmonts and those people playing. And then, of course, the Beatles came along. And uh, well, ooh, What did that do to you guys when the Beatles came out? Was it a thing or was it, were you removed enough or was it still the the well, whirlwind? It, I, I don't... I don't exactly know how to answer that, except to tell you that we were, like Terry said, we were playing Dion and the Belmont. I mean, we're only 14 and 12 years old, so <laughs> um, when they came out, I remember I, I hadn't really heard of the Beatles very much, mm-hmm. you know, but when we went to, uh, we went to visit some relatives in Minneapolis, and they told us that this group of, called the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show that night, and then uh, one of my cousins there said, oh, well, come up and I'll show you who the Beatles are. So we walked up to her room there, and she had already walls, you know, <laughs> plastered with the Beatles pictures. So Terry and I, we came back home, and I, I won't say that it took over our music because that's another thing, but we played uh, early Beatles stuff and a lot of the uh, WLS stuff we heard. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the number one station. And uh, it... it <laughs> Well, we had really, really, really short hair back in those days. When <laughs> we lived here in Millbank, and some of the people can relate to this, uh, our barber was a gentleman by the name of Shorty Anderson. His barbershop was in the old St. Hubert Hotel. Ah, yes. And when we would go in there, my dad would say one thing, uh, give him a hiney, which means you didn't have hardly any hair on your head when you walked out of there. <laughs> Just and, cut it right down. <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. So in order for us to look like the Beatles, we found our mom had some old fur type, almost like the Russian hats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we had a blonde one and we had a white one or a white one and a black one, I guess it was. And we actually have a picture of us putting these hats on and playing Beatles music with it. <laughs> yeah, we were a little different. <laughs> we, we were in, we would have brought the hats today, but they're still in the Smithsonian Institute. So. Nice, nice. So that kind of got us into that. And then uh, there was a, my mom, you know, she she put up with that. I will say that much. But her uh, interest was country music, mm-hmm. and she introduced us to uh, Hank Williams. And at the time, Buck Owens was just coming along. So there's quite a difference between Hank Williams and Buck Owens and that type of thing. 
and we kind of drifted that way. And some uh, later people would ask us, now, why did you end up in country rather than in the Beatles and stuff? Mm-hmm. And there was one reason, really. We're both mercenaries. <laughs> and as I told many of my rock friends, I said, uh, you guys play once a week. And we play every night. Nice. <laughs> and at the time, I mean, they would pay us, this literally is true, $15 for the night and gas money. Well, think about it, in 1969, 70, you're making $15 for a four-hour thing when the minimum wage is, what, $1.25. So, no kidding. Yeah, we had more money than everybody else. <laughs> you guys were, were the epitome of success. Yep. Well, I, th- I think that what happened, too, now, uh, we never had a lot of Beatles records in the house. Mm. We had some Dion stuff uh we could play some of that for you too but uh about the same time that the beatles were big uh they put out a hank williams movie called your cheating heart and we went to that over at the defay theater okay. here in millbank and uh instantly like country music and from so, that movie yeah yeah that movie was a big influence to start doing country music and then as neil alluded to because we were we were kids not 45 year old people <laughs> Uh, we still wanted the stuff that had a little beat and snap to it, and that's where Buck Owens was coming in mm. with his electrification of country out at Bakersfield. So we, we did a lot of Buck Owens uh, and more or less dropped the Beatles, but the Beatles also were recording Buck Owens music at that time, Act Naturally, and some of those songs okay. were Buck Owens songs that the Beatles put on their albums too. So so for us it was a transition uh, fairly rapidly, though we didn't really uh, spend years doing pop stuff uh, mm-hmm. other than country things that were on the top of the charts. So how did you get to um, have a radio show Well, a- as teenagers? You want to talk about that, Neil? Yeah, or you, do, you go ahead. I'll take some of the harder questions. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll see what I can remember. Uh, I can't remember why we went over there. It was a Sunday afternoon, and we drove over to KDIO. My mom and dad drove us over to KDIO, and... Uh, we got to talking with uh, Bruce Hockovic and uh, Harry Hawkinson, I believe, was the mm-hmm. other DJ there. And one thing led to another, and they said, bring the guitars in, boys, and let's let you play a bit. So we ended up playing that afternoon on the air live, taking uh, requests over the phone. Do you remember the first stuff you played? It would have probably had to have been some Hank Williams stuff, more than likely. Yeah, that and... Uh, Buck. Yep, those kind of things that were popular on the charts back then. Yep. You know, though, we were a little ahead of our story because that would have been about 1967, wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Yep. All right. So back up just a little bit. It wasn't like we were strangers and walked into the radio station because uh, in 1965, our mom entered us into the Snow Queen talent contest here in Millbank. For Snow Queen? (laughs) Oh, oh, sorry. You know, I was asked that last night, too. (laughs) Neil won the Snow Queen hey. contest. <laughs> I wondered. That one picture just looks so different. I thought you were going to say, well, I didn't hardly recognize you today. So anyway, <laughs> in 19, I think that was 65. And uh, gosh, Terry and I won the competition. And then we played a few places around Millbank Community Clubs and the Rod and Gun Club, which they had here and all that. And maybe, you know, played in public five, six times, something mm-hmm. like that. So we went back the next year in the junior division, and doggone if we didn't win the competition again here. And you were how old at this time? Oh, let's see. 66, I would have been 15, and Terry? Okay. 13. 13. Yeah. So we went back in 1967 again. 
and we won the contest again that year. So we won it three years in a row. By then, I think they were so, Millbike was going, oh gosh, get rid of them, get rid of them, please. <laughs> and we moved up to uh, Aberdeen uh, in 68. But uh, so when we walked in there, yeah, I don't know if Bruce and Harry knew who we were exactly. But anyway, from, from going over there, um, my dad, obviously they said, well, you need a sponsor, you know, to get on the air every week. And so my dad went down and visited with Aiden's Conoco down here. And uh, uh, Daryl Aiden and the crew there said, we'll sponsor you. And they sponsored our program for a year and a half until we moved to Aberdeen. Wow. It was pretty cool. Do you remember, do you remember the uh, commercial we did? We wrote our own commercials oh, for Oh, let's them. have it. Oh, boy. You remember it? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want a gas that'll really make your car go? Do you want a gas that's cheaper by the mile? Conoco's the way to go. Service with a smile. Conoco gas is cheaper by the mile. Hottest brand going, that's Conoco. Wrong key, but the idea. Right, Wrong right. key and can't remember the words. <laughs> it was just yesterday. So did they ask you to write it, or did you guys just say, hey, we'll write you a jingle? We said we'll do the commercials live. Yeah, and we, so, so we came up with that. We wrote the jingle. That's awesome. Maybe we missed our crawling. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe we should have. Right. The ne- I, yeah, I tried to sell the next one and got no luck. It was plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a... And they said, no, that'll no, never terrible, be nothing. Right? <laughs> I think I had it wrong. I was uh, That was for dairy cattle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, that that's how we got the radio show. And Terry got a job as a disc jockey working uh, afternoons. Afternoons, uh, Monday through Friday from... I don't know, 3.30, right after school At, to 6. So during high school, you were a, right. a DJ. Yep, yep. Wow. Times are different. No you, kidding. I mean, at 14 years old, Terry was driving back and forth to Ortonville, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was the booster seat really helped. <laughs> well, I, I, got, I got pulled over more than once by officers who could not believe I could be old enough to be driving a car. <laughs> and he was a young-looking 14. <laughs> Oh, it was yeah, lots of great. Remember what you called your car? Wasn't that the brown bomber that you had? Yeah, the went brown back? bomber. Yeah, it's an old Ford with the big the, fins on it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what what did your parents think of this? Were they totally supportive of this whole yeah. venture? Oh yes, yep. They were probably uh, uh, our biggest promoters. Really? Yep. Our dad was, I I think, the P.T. Barnum of of Millbank. And that'll play kind of into our story because you'll you'll hear some of the things that he did. But without him, and our mom would would enter us into these contests and stuff. That we, I mean, we, you know, we were a garage down the basement band, <laughs> just the two of us. We didn't have anybody that really played with us, did we? Until we say, moved what, to Aberdeen. Were there other your youths your age that were into music, or were you guys it? Well, in my class alone in '69, I, I grew up with Marley Foreman. And uh, Al Raymond, and they both later played for Red Willow Band. Mm. And uh, we would get together up in Al's house and sit and jam with Dewey stuff like that. And I would do the country, and they'd do more of the rock stuff. And we kind of laugh about it now. I got my class reunion coming up. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was a great time. It was a great time to be a kid. You know, that was when you still could go and pull a carrot out of the garden. And even with dirt, you'd eat it. And you go, man, that was gritty, but that was good. <laughs> right, right. It was, it's pretty fun. So we moved to Aberdeen in 1968, and uh, I don't know if we really had anything in mind as far as going up there, but we went and played at the uh, 
Tiffany School, I think it was. Yeah, we played for the uh, PTO or PTA. Yep. Uh, Go ahead. And we, one of the gentlemen in the audience had a band, and he had an accordion uh, and a polka band, and he was looking for some musicians. So uh, uh, Larry Mitzel was his name, so he flagged us down and said, hey, you guys, uh, I like your sound. He said, I'd like you to play with me. He says, I do a lot of country along with the... Uh, the traditional old style music. So we joined up with Larry and uh, started playing with him and uh, Larry Mitzel and the Country Sons. And Larry was uh, uh, a very, very good accordion player. And so we were playing west of Aberdeen quite a bit out there in the the uh, the Russian area and stuff where uh, polkas and shoddishes and waltzes were extremely popular. So we we started playing every Saturday night with him and and then some. And we did that for, what, about six, seven months before we decided to uh, form our own group? Yep. And then we hired a drummer, and we went out on ourselves, started playing all over Aberdeen, and next thing we knew, we were driving back and forth to go to school and driving 150 miles to Mitchell, South Dakota, work there five days and then go back and... Uh, but I think one of the things that uh, stuck out the most for us is people ask us, you know, a lot of the music business, and it may be still this way nowadays, I don't know, it's it's where you're at just at a particular time. So in 69, we'd formed our band by then, and um, my mom said, uh, goodness, uh, you know, uh, Hank Williams Jr. is going to be at the Civic Arena. So we said, okay. She says, I think you kids should be on his show that night. This was November 24th. Was this a normal thing for him to just have random people up during in the show? Well, <laughs> we don't know. And it gets even weirder. Okay. So my mom said, oh, I'm going to call him up. I saw his bus. It's at the Holiday Inn. So, and Hank Jr. is maybe six months older than I am. So we're about the same age. And uh, she calls up the Holiday Inn. She says, I'd like to speak to Hank Williams Jr. There's a silence. You can hear a ring. Picks up the phone, says, Hank, can I help you? Are you kidding? <laughs> no. She says, yep, hi, Hank. Uh, I got two kids. Uh, I don't know if she told them the ages or anything. She says, uh, they'd like to sing on your show tonight. You need to have them sing. And he said, come on down. No problem. <laughs> wow. So uh, he yeah, said, that doesn't happen today. <laughs> uh, no. She says, uh, when you come down here, ask for Lamar and Lamar will take care of you. Well, Lamar Morris was Hank's band leader, and he wasn't much older than the rest of us neither at the time. And that may have been part of it, you know, is that we were all the same age. Mm -hmm. So we, we went down there, and uh, Lamar said, sure. He said, Hank told me to put you on the show. Let's let's go. So we walk out there, and there's, I suppose, four or 5,000 people in the Aberdeen Arena. It was packed. And uh, we get up there, and, and this is kind of the weird part, and, and <laughs> you know, so... I said to, uh, he said, what song are you going to sing? And I told him, and he looked at me, and he says, you really going to sing that song? I said, yeah, yeah. He says, okay. Uh, then I did this really something stupid. I said, do you know it? <laughs> and he got this smile on his face, and he says, yes, we know this song. And by the way, you know this is the number one song in the United States right now, right? <laughs> really? <laughs> and I go, no, not really. I didn't know that. And then I realized, how stupid that I asked Hank Williams Jr.'s band leader if he knew this song. So we're going to play the song. So we, Terry and I walk out on the stage. 
place is pretty quiet because they'd never heard of Neil and Terry Boggess in their million years. You know, we're dressed in our nice suits and all that. And we did this song that went something like this. We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. We don't take our trips on LSD. We don't burn our draft cards down on Main Street. Cause we like living right and being free. We don't make a party out of loving. We like holding hands and pitching woo. And we don't make a party out of living. Like the hippies out in San Francisco do. Help me out, Terry. And I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskogee. A place where even squares can have a ball. We still wave glory down at the courthouse. White lightning's still the biggest thrill of all In Muskogee, Oklahoma, USA What's kind of interesting about that uh, is we worked with Lamar Morris there when he was with the Cheatin' Hearts and then we actually met up with him again a few years later when we were on tour uh, down in Illinois on the fair circuit uh, Hank had fallen off the mountain at that time and terrible accident was out of commission. And so uh, the Cheatin' Hearts band uh, essentially teamed up then with Billy Thundercloud and the Chief Tones. And Billy had a top 10 uh, pop song out at that time called... Uh, what Time of Day. Yeah, What Time of Day. But he was uh, a fantastic performer uh, and uh, he's a Native American from Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was doing uh, basically Indian-themed songs like Cherokee Nation and songs like that, and it just had a tremendous driving uh, beat to it, and it was still country-flavored, but he was selling out 10,000-seat fair arenas at that time, and Lamar and and the band was backing him, and then we started opening for them, so uh, we got to work with Lamar again two, three years after this had taken place. Yeah, it is. You know, we got done with that song, and the and the minute I'm talking about Aberdeen, and mm-hmm. the minute we started, the place erupted. There, there was something during the 1969, 70 period, of course, that the country was in turmoil. So, Merle Haggard's "Okey from Muskogee" kind of became an anthem of sorts. And uh, so we did this. Later, we walked down, and people are coming up asking for our autographs and all that. Now, were you playing with Hank's band? Yeah, they banked us back us up. <laughs> wow. Was he out there with them? Nope, he okay. was inside. And uh, wow. yeah, yeah, it was incredible. So we had a, a guy by the name of, uh, who worked for Hap Peebles Talent Agency, who put on shows all over, and he said, you know, I think my boss man would be interested in hiring you guys. And But what it, how it turned out was, uh, yeah, he was interested, but he sure didn't want to take a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old on <laughs> <Right>. tour. So <laughs> Understandably. Uh, yeah, that, that didn't work out the way it was. But, uh, you know, cheapers. That's how we started our career in Aberdeen, and it went from there. I'll, I'll pick kind of weird stuff out that happened to us because I think that it was important. 
uh, we played Mitchell, South Dakota a lot. Now, we're all in college. There was five of us going back and forth. College where? At Northern okay. State University. At the time, Northern State College. Mm-hmm. So, And driving back and forth. So we're playing Mitchell, South Dakota one night during the Corn Palace Festival. And uh, we come in, and there's a curtain around half of the building uh, down there. And I go, well, that's weird. But we started our stuff. And Terry breaks into games people play. And the curtain comes down, and all these dancers come out. And it's a dance group called the Brothers and the Sisters. And they're dancing there. And then pretty soon, another guy comes out by the name of Glenn Ash. He was the opening act for the gentleman that came out after he got done. And so uh, pretty soon, uh, a gentleman by the name of Tennessee Ernie Ford walks out of the background. You probably have to go look and see who Tennessee Ernie (laughs) Ford is. He was huge at the time. And uh, so we got to back up him for 45 minutes. I mean, it was just one thing after another like that. At any point, you guys were in school at the time. Did you go, hmm, maybe we should not do school? Or was that not even a thought? Because this clearly was was a successful gig you were doing. That's a good question. I guess I didn't think ever about quitting, did you? No, no, not really. Uh, We just squeezed it in. We always worried in the summertime if the summer tours could get done before college started mm-hmm. because you know you get into the state fairs and that stuff going well into september and school would generally start right after labor day mm-hmm. so i had a few times have talked to some of the professors about hey can i make up a couple weeks classes and everybody's always accommodating we were always able to get that done so, so were you guys somewhat of a celebrity on campus no i don't think anybody even knew who we were <laughs> really <laughs> we, well we did play we played once down down at the union hall yeah, we did. Uh, the, the student, and both people student that union. showed up liked it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we had, at that time, in our band, we had a couple other guys from Aberdeen that were going to school there mm. also and stuff. So we knew a lot of people. Yeah, I don't, I, I guess they just never put it together. I'm, I'm well, not sure. I think a perspective of country music back then is that it was extremely popular. Mm. I mean, you had, Jimmy Dean had a TV show, Johnny Cash had a TV show, and, uh, uh, there was tons of syndicated TV shows back then that were being put out by major stars. So country music was all over the place. And one of the trends that was going on was to take pop songs like Joe South's Games People's Play and turn out a country version of it, which oh. which Freddie Weller had out at that time. And, then, and of course, he was lead singer with uh, one of the rock bands, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Paul Revere and yeah. the Raiders, yeah. Uh, and he put out country version. So country music was actually quite popular. And, and to play in the college uh, uh, coffee houses or to play on, on some of the local uh, uh, bars that the college kids hung up was not unusual to have country bands playing back then. And it was, right. So so we just kind of fit in with that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we stood out as oh, right. anybody that people yeah. would. We were, I mean, on top of going to school, we were probably playing 130 to 150 dates a year. And uh, and when we got onto the fair and fair circuit, uh, I mean, it was not. There were times when we would finish up a gig in South Dakota on Saturday, drive and do something in Illinois on Sunday, and drive back and start someplace else. The longest jump we ever had was from Bosher City, Louisiana, to Gillette, Wyoming, <laughs> and the, literally what? it never. Yeah, it, I mean these these were very typical for us. We were working. I think that was with Sam Gibbs, if I remember right from wichita falls texas yeah we used to make a, get, a joke that sam would just take a map and where the dart hit is where you That's went, where you went. <laughs> yeah we so did you have like a, a booker a promoter that yeah was he, a, he was our agent okay at mm-hmm. that time. um how we got on the fair circuit is even a more interesting story i think uh 
1968, my dad was transferred to, to Aberdeen. And in 1971, he took the job as the what's called the general roadmaster for the railroad mm-hmm. and moved to Chicago. Now, I'm not really sure how this all happened, but at any rate, he was driving by and he saw an, a, a talent agency called Attractions Incorporated. And our dad just walked in there and said, you need my kids to play for you guys. <laughs> and they didn't throw him out of the office, which I think was interesting. They said, uh, send us a tape and send us a picture and we'll see what we can do. So he, the minute he got home, of course, he called us up and said, you got a tape and we didn't have one. So we went back that night. We didn't even have pictures. <laughs> and uh, I think it was one microphone, wasn't it? Pretty much something like that. Yeah. One microphone set up, old reel-to-reel tape recorder. We still have the original audition tape. I, I put it on my Facebook page the okay. other day and uh, got some pictures. Must have taken a week or two, sent them down there. They signed us on the spot. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and the next thing we know, we're doing county fairs and festivals in Illinois and Wisconsin, and uh, that was their area. Turns out Attractions Incorporated was a uh, offshoot of... Uh, what was what was that guy's name? Buddy Buddy Lee? Buddy Lee Attractions Incorporated yeah. out of Nashville. Mm. So it, I mean it really is a lot of where we were at at the right time, but our dad just, you know, to walk in a talent agency and say, "Hey, you need to book no my kidding. kids." <laughs> well, for for it to work. Yeah, and that led actually that led us to a 4-year contract with Attractions Incorporated to do all those fairs and stuff. Wow. So when did you guys stop touring that much? Like how many? How how long was that run? On and off, it was for eleven years. Really? Yeah. And you do get burned out. Mm-hmm. You just get burned out. Um, now, doing... d- families at all in in that had, yeah. the, had those well, started? Well, we at towards the end of the uh, the Sons of the West main group. I, I say main group because I left, and uh, obviously Neil <laughs> and still had another group that continued on. <laughs> nice. but, but the main group, <laughs> uh, uh, we were all married and we were all playing in the band mm. so neil and his wife uh uh my sister and her husband and myself and my wife were the main band for a couple of years there playing and, and doing the touring so uh in 75 uh i left the band my wife and i left the band and and i went railroading for the next 36 years but neil you, your band continued on for we went until 1979 before we bought the theaters it's a rugged life. By then, I was 29, and uh, man, I mean, we didn't even have a house. You know, we just lived out of the storage shed, basically, and my mom and dad's, and we just said, you know, I think I've told you the story about the, the theater and all that, yeah. so we ended up down here. But now we're doing the reunion shows and uh, doing it, really having a good time. You know, we should mention real quick uh, Kim May, because uh, Kim has played a vital... Um, Kim's mom and dad both worked for the railroad out in Mobridge. And my dad was a traveling guy, so he was out there, and his uh, he ran into Mrs. May, and she said, you know, you, Neil and Terry need a guitar player. And so uh, he happened to be going to school with us. We didn't even know each other. <laughs> so he came over to our house, and this guy sits down. I don't know if you're familiar with Chet Atkins style picking. Yeah. If you closed your eyes, you would not. Be, really? Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Um, well, Chet's an icon. <laughs> yes. And and he could give Chet lessons. Wow. wow. <laughs> and then he pick, He said, uh, I think I'll try the steel guitar. So he just bought himself a single neck pedal steel guitar. 
And I, I don't know how many pedals he's got on it now, but he's done a lot of recording. Mm-hmm. For the first two weeks, I called him Ken. <laughs> Introduced him as Ken, you know. And, and you couldn't, we couldn't say the words that Neil called him after the first two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What happened? <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> but this was very much the time period of garage bands and basement bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you opened up the Aberdeen paper on a Friday or a Thursday, it would not have been uncommon to see upwards of 30 to 40 different places with live music. Really? Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, every Elks Club had one, you know, the Legion had a band. And on Main Street, uh, they called it bar hopping. I don't know if you do bar hopping anymore. Um, but people I think the drunks do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every place would have in- entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so you would go and, and, I mean, that's where we played. So every place had a live band, a house band, basically. Everybody. Yep. Hmm. What and happened? I mean, that's still the case in, you know, some of the bigger cities. There's a lot of places downtown, but... Disco happened. Really? Yep. Disco took a lot of the bands out because it was relatively cheap entertainment for to get a DJ to play the mm-hmm. records. And uh, uh, what I guess the irony Flash of that lights. was, you know, before that, we had the, a form of disco called record hops that you were doing in the high schools where the disc jockey would go in with his records and he'd play 45s and all the kids would would dance. Mm -hmm. And at some point in time, of course, the equipment got so much better and it all moved into the clubs. But it it really hit Aberdeen big time when disco So when that came about, then the garage band concept kind of began to fade? Yep. Yep. It was a unique situation because, you know, there were garage bands that were top 40. Mm -hmm. Some were heavy. Heavy metal was just starting to come in and all that. Uh, I, I think it's gone. Wow. I don't know. Is there garage bands no. around Millbank anymore? Not, not that I know of. No. Yep. Millbank had the townhouse out here, and Jerry Burns and the crew out there, Ron Drobeck, they did a fabulous job for probably 20 years out there. And uh, Where? At, uh, well, it's, it's hard to explain unless you, those listening know exactly where the townhouse <laughs> <Okay>. was. <laughs> it, was a, it was a unique period of time. I, a lot of the things we described to you, I don't think could happen again i i don't see anybody walking into a radio station and saying i'd like to have a program at two o'clock in the afternoon on sundays Mm -hmm. and uh, you know bruce hoggabit went on to be the uh news director for wcco in uh minneapolis there and harry and bruce would join us on here comes peter cottontail and you know all these neat songs that doesn't happen Mm. it just doesn't happen anymore your type of show doesn't happen then no well, it, it's becoming more prevalent just with the advent of podcasting. Right. Um, but yeah, there's just not a lot of, um, well, I, I think it's gotten so commercialized and so uh, digital, shall we say. Mm-hmm. It's computerized. Everything's a, a system. And so you have a hard clock. If you don't stop talking, it's going to shut you off because it's got to go to this next spot. Yep. And I think that that's why I love the idea of this room because, okay, we're not done. We're going to keep going. There, There are no rules really other than when we decide to be done. Well, I I think it's going to bring back a certain feeling and uh, uh, ways for people to get into the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. If you go back in the 70s and early 80s, and then it started dying out, but you had like Ralph Emery had his talk show on Nashville every night uh, at whatever time, 1030 to 2 in the morning, and he'd have stars calling in from all over the country promoting their records but Mm -hmm. telling where they were and stuff and if you look at the shows like the tonight show back then they all had entertainers on and today it's all talk 
Yeah. You know, you don't, usually at the end of uh, the show, Letterman, I don't know if, I don't watch a lot of those. They're up way too late for me to be watching <laughs> television. <laughs> <laughs> but there'd always be a band that would play yeah. a number or two. And, mm-hmm. and so, and of course, the variety shows on television uh, always had all kinds of different music. Uh, yeah. And it was more than the Ed Sullivan show. And a lot of people, uh, boy, that was an icon, that show, that and mm-hmm. Ed Sullivan. But, uh, the idea I think today for people to get into entertainment is a lot tougher uh, to make a living uh, because you just don't have the exposure opportunities that you used to have. But now maybe with podcasts coming back and uh, people can do their own home recording, yeah. but getting it played is well, something it, else too. It's still tough because you still have this the old school thought that, well, you got to get radio play to make it. But I think the reality is the big arena show is now where the money's at. Mm-hmm. And so these yep. these bands, I, I just saw Metallica in Grand Forks in last September. And, you know, they're on this three-year, I think at least three years, um, worldwide tour where they're bringing the same show and it's in the middle of an arena and it's it's insane. But that's where the money's at. You go and you put 30,000 people, 20,000 people, whatever, in an arena, you know, you sell those tickets for 150 bucks. You can do that every, you know, every other night. Yep. That's doable. But, and a lot of that is nostalgia just, too, isn't oh, it? Oh, totally. I think so. Yep. Yeah. I think people like the concert feel. Mm-hmm. But then they're getting so big and so produced now, it's almost like well, it's almost like you're watching a movie. It's interesting you'd say that because I went to a baseball game and I had not went to a major league baseball game in a long time. And uh, we got the Tampa Bay Rays, who, mm. you know. So I'm going there and I'm sitting through this and I'm watching the introductions and how the whole thing is. And you know what? It's an entertainment production. It's not a sports anymore. No, a it's sport. not. Uh, everybody that came up to bat had their own whole <laughs> video thing. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, this could be a movie. And now, now all of a sudden you're going, yeah. well, is it real or, or, or is this all fixed? And, you know, they know right. the winner and they know right. who's going to serve up the lollipop to hit it mm-hmm. over the fence, that type of thing. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'd like to, if we have time, I'd like to tell you some of the funny things that happened Ooh, to us because it was. Well, and, and I also want to know if you guys only did covers or if you wrote your own music. Well, we wrote our own music and, and largely played it uh, in the in the last hour of a, a four hour night because, you know, when people. <laughs> people were drunk then and well, it was fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. You're going to get right to the point, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> but but here the fact is people come out to have a good time at yeah. night they relate more to the song they've heard on the radio absolutely and the other thing interesting i thought people related more to a song that was one or two years old than one that was currently really? on the charts so uh we had a, a strong repertoire of two three-year-old songs and we'd always learn a few of the newer ones but for the 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 self-written material, we did record a couple of them and stuff, and we released some things out. Uh, but we largely did those uh, when we were doing maybe a fair or, like, say, last hour mm-hmm. in the club when people would dance to yeah. anything. <laughs> <laughs> we we probably viewed ourselves a little different, too. We People ask me, you play guitar. I said, I do play guitar, but I don't consider myself... A, a true musician because I'm not a picker or anything like that. I'm an entertainer. Mm-hmm. And so if I can entertain you with a song that's 20 years old that everybody's heard, 
last night. I mean, I don't think we did a song that was written after 1979, <laughs> but we look over our audience and we pick uh, like the songs last night. We could come in there with our charts and we pick songs that we know will entertain, entertain these folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think, would you say you're more of a, Terry's the one, what he wrote, 300 songs, something like that? Oh, I suppose, yeah. A lot of songs. Wow. Uh, and <laughs> you just get down and, you, and you're, you're thinking about something and start writing mm-hmm. writing a song, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Uh, as I play some of them back now, I say, well, there's probably more more bad than good here. <laughs> the, the other interesting thing is you write a song and you think you came up with something really original, and then you're driving down the road and you got the radio on and you say, that sounds Wait an awful lot like my song. <laughs> My wife was always quick to point out to me when that song sounded nice. one, I said I wrote. Nice. <laughs> and of course, I think he wrote another 200 songs after he had an argument with me, and we didn't want to hear what those songs were like. <laughs> those were in the basement. It was a, it really was a family band, and uh, you know, people said, "Well, how did you get along?" You know, we got along really pretty well. Uh, because the only time we ever saw each other was on the stage. Because when you're traveling, we had three different cars and, okay. and that type of thing. We we were, um, boy, we were really the traveling band. We changed our clothes in the car when we were at, even at Wausau, remember that, the Wausau, I can't remember what the name of the fair is. Anyway, Wausau, Wisconsin, there was like bleachers full of about 10,000 people. We still changed our clothes in the car. You know, that's that's what they had for us. So... You do what you do. Terry was wow. a disc jockey at uh, K-Bar in uh, in Aberdeen. And how you ever ended up with the morning show, I do not understand. Well, I think that uh, the program director did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, part, part of that was was that uh, KBR back then uh, would play country music till about 9 o'clock in the morning. And then they would convert over to a pop format mm. the rest of the day. So... Uh, Don Briscoe, our program director at that time, he's still up in Aberdeen off and on. I think he lives in Arizona now, but uh, he would, uh, he knew I liked country music, and so that was a good fit, not for me sleep-wise, but, right. but music-wise. <laughs> uh, I later on ended up with the afternoon show, but because uh, that's tough, getting up every morning like that. We'd be driving home, and we knew he had to, uh, you know, get on the air at 6 o'clock in the morning, so there was this old song, BJ the DJ, well, he was living the life. And to stay awake, uh, we'd stop out in the middle of the highway. And there's not anybody out there at four o'clock in the morning. You know, he'd run around the car and all that, and the rest of us in the back seat. First few times, we'd we'd laugh about it, and then after that, you realize he was serious. Get there, and I remember there's more than one day, Terry, where you uh, uh, put on. He would put on El Paso, which was five minute song by Marty Robbins, and then he would lay his head down. Oh no! And then pretty soon you'd hear. <laughs> <laughs> and you just hoped it was too early in the morning for the boss to be awake. Right. But he did call you once too, didn't he? Oh yeah, they caught me a couple times. Oh, man. <laughs> can you can you and we, of course we fashioned all our classes to late afternoon too. Uh-huh. So I mean, there was no way we could get up and get home at five and go to class oh, at eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, gosh, we had some fun. We really did. How many times did you have vehicle breakdowns on the road? Not that many Well, times. But, but we had some significant ones. Oh, one night, uh, well, Dad had bought us a trailer because the band kept getting bigger and we needed to uh, haul the equipment in a trailer. So he bought uh, something that had been refurbished by somebody, and evidently it still had the gears in the, the axle. must have had a rear axle on there. Yep. 
And that thing locked up one night about 3 in the morning coming home, skidded like a sled for about a half a mile before we got stopped. And we, we totaled the trailer, but luckily I don't think we lost any equipment. No, but the sparks really flew. <laughs> oh, man. man. Yeah. It was incredible. Then I, uh, my dad said, you guys need a bus. So he bought us a school bus to travel in. <laughs> and my grandpa, grandpa lived up in Summit, so I drove it up there. And uh, somewhere in Grant County, the bus is still here. It was, we painted it purple. Remember, mm-hmm. this is the days of the Partridge family, and we put Sons of the West on it. We built bunk beds in there, and uh, I stuck $2,500 into that thing. It broke down on the first trip. The motor blew out. <laughs> oh, man. And the guy must have saw us coming because the next motor he put in there, it didn't last much longer no. than that. Uh, a frightening story with it. We were going into uh, the galley up in Webster from Aberdeen, and we got hit by an ambulance on the backside of us from going, coming from, that was probably the scariest night I think that we they ever They just had. ran into you? Yeah. I was making a left turn mm-hmm. going into the uh, place we were playing, and uh, he did not have a siren on. Mm. He had his lights, and it was rainy and cold and what have you, and he slammed into the side of the bus. Now, they weren't hurt. There was already people hurt from another accident, but mm. I want to tell you something. I have a, That gave me a new respect for the people who work ERs in small hospitals oh, because yeah. I went with the ambulance. I was so shook up, and the band went up and set up, and we did play that night yet. I don't know <laughs> if I got there right on time, but I don't remember. we had a number of fender benders. I talked myself into one in uh, Chicago, you know, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> South Dakota kid. You know, you're going down the... Dan Ryan Expressway and everybody's going 90 miles an hour and I'm saying to myself I told my wife I said I'm going to have a wreck I'm going to have a wreck pretty soon I rear-ended the car in front of me you know <laughs> planning on it <laughs> so there, there was the the fun days like that well you have to tell them what the uh, police officer said so Neil's sitting in rush hour has caused an accident on the Dan Ryan freeway <laughs> and uh, the thing is going two mile an hour when it's running good you know the officer comes up and says what in the world is a kid from South Dakota doing on a freeway in Chicago at four in the afternoon? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. Yeah. What was I doing there, you know? Hmm. I think one of the, the neatest times we had was all the people that we got to play with who were, unfortunately, some of them are dead now, but uh, for a bunch of kids from, I mean, we're doing these tours at the ages of 25 and 24 years old. I was the oldest kid in the band, and I was 24, so that'll tell you. <laughs> but, you know, we'd get down there, and you'd be playing with Jerry Reed one day and Danny Davis and the Nashville Brass another day. Um, who are some of the other people we played with? Because it was a who's who at the time. Well, Billy Thundercloud, of course, and uh, Tommy Cash, Johnny's brother. We played with him. Uh, Barbie Benton, we had a, a nice day with her. A show with her. That was, you know who Barbie Benton is? Nope. Oh. Hugh Hefner's girlfriend. She was, she was the playmate of the year oh, no. in 1974. Yeah. She was a and, good singer, she, but nobody came for that. Well, she and she she actually she actually had a couple of hit records really? back then on the country yeah. charts. Yeah, huh. she's a very nice person actually. Yep, so. we played with a lot of nice people. They were it was it was cool. Uh, let's tell. I'm going to tell a Tommy Cash story because there's, there's all these stories about the the uh, you know the show must go on. So we go out and do our thing, opening for him, and there was another act between us. We always traveled with a comedian, and maybe we would be the opening act, and then we would back up uh, Bonnie Ferguson with us, and then they bring on the big star. They called them package shows. And uh, so we were playing, I think this was in Wausau too, and Tommy Cash, Johnny's brother, was on after us. 
And so I walk backstage there, and there he is, and he is crying his eyes out. I mean, he, I, and I'm just going, wow. And I walked over and wanted to say something. You don't know what to say. And, and uh, so I asked somebody with him, I said, is he going to make it? Oh, yeah, he'll be okay. He was just told that by his wife that <laughs> she's divorcing him. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right before a show? Right before a show. You know what? They announced him. He walked out there and did his show just like nothing was affecting him. So, I mean, a true entertainer mm. will do that. Really wow. interesting. Really interesting. After the band, uh, some of the members left, namely Terry. Um, <laughs> Not to point fingers. <laughs> we, we, we had uh, other people who joined us. Mm-hmm. Jenny and I went on and uh, cut an album down in Nashville. And I'm very happy to say that one of the songs from there went to number four on the regional charts here. We had a cover, a cover again of uh, ABBA's I Do, I Do, I Do, I Do. And uh, we took that all the way to number four in wow. the Minneapolis Fargo area. And that so that's our claim to fame of a one-hit wonder in this area at any rate. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Hmm. It was really fun. And now we've reunited again. Yeah, what, what was the impetus for the reunion tour? Well, we actually did not play together for probably 20 years. Pretty close. Uh, Other we, than basements and stuff. Yeah, because like yeah. we, we lived in you know different cities quite mm-hmm. a ways apart and stuff. And I think the first time we got together and played was for my mom and dad's 50th mm-hmm. wedding anniversary here in Millbank. And uh, you were living in Florida, and I was living in, right. uh, in the Twin Cities area, St. Paul. And... Uh, I can't remember if Marcy and Kim were here in the cities or here in Millbank. I think they were in Kearney. But, but anyhow, we, we all got together here and played about an hour, hour and a half show uh, for them. And once we did that, then we started trying to get together. And we we're still looking at maybe two, three-year intervals before mm-hmm. we play. And then uh, I don't know if, if I was the first one there or if the band was. But we played the Salvation Army in Watertown. Uh, and did a show there, and how that, long ago? I'd say fourteen that was, years ago. It's been that long yeah, already. Okay. Fourteen years ago, so that started to become a regular thing. Probably twice a year, we we do it uh, in the spring and and again in the fall, and uh, that's kind of been what kept us together was getting together to play those shows, and mm-hmm. then now with the fiftieth year uh, tour or anniversary, uh, we're trying to put together a few more shows than yeah than just twice a year. How did you come up with the name? Wow. Um, go ahead. Well, I think uh, the the first band we were in in Aberdeen was called the Country Sons. So we tried using that at first, and Larry says, hey, guys, that's that's my band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and, of course, Larry was right. So we, uh, we were just kind of chewing the fat and... Uh, I don't know if the drummer, but somebody came up and says, why don't we call ourselves the Country Sons then? Or uh, the Sons of the West. As With a, an O. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I guess uh, eventually uh, that O turned into a U, and we became the Sons of the West, and we based everything off of that name from that, that point on. It was probably just uh, something the band came up with rather than you or me. Yeah, because there wasn't many, at the time, there wasn't really many groups in country music. Um, most of it was buck owens and the buckaroos or stuff like that so we kind of like to think that we were a little you know what what we've said ahead of our time kind of in naming the whole group because after we left then then the groups in in country music became Mm -hmm. more more predominant um 
Well, we were in, when you talk about the age perspective or a group, I think we were because country music, most of the people had their first hit records in country music when they were 34, 35 years old. Really? They weren't, they weren't 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And at that time it was starting to change. You had Hank Jr. out there uh, and he was just a few years younger than us. Of course, he had quite a legacy to right. to give him a, <laughs> a helping hand, if you will. Uh, but also Johnny Rock, Rodriguez and people like that that were starting to have top records were fairly young for country music. And so we had, we had a group, but you didn't have many groups in country music back then. It was uh, at least out on the national stage mm-hmm. in, in, right. in in town you did. But even then, a lot of them led with their lead singers. The lead singer and yeah. then with, yeah. Yep. You had Jay and the Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody was out named out first and yeah. then came along Alabama and the Oak Ridge Boys and started hitting the big time. So many shows have you played, do you think? I would say, well, thousands. Really? It was a lot of shows. And crammed into an 11-year span where we were really, really busy. Um, there there may have been some burnout. It is, it's tough. Um, we never got into the drugs. Because people ask would ask me all the time, did you see drug abuse? Oh, gosh, we were around it all the time. Uh, the worst I think we got, and, you know, I... I I don't mind saying it because I think it's uh, um, equivalent of Red Bull now was no dose. Oh, yeah. And so we would have a designated Mm -hmm. no dose driver. (laughs) And uh, the rest of us would sleep on the way. You you couldn't keep Mm -hmm. up that pace if you didn't. And uh, I remember one one distinct time I was driving back from Redfield. I was the, quote, no dose driver that night. (laughs) And... The, the bad part is you could start off with one, but then pretty soon you'd mm-hmm. need two to do it. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like the cans of Red Bull. And I think that's just pure caffeine is what it is. And so I'm driving back and uh, I don't know if it was Terry or somebody came up to me and said, so are, are we through Redfield yet? And Redfield's about 40 miles from Aberdeen. And I said, no, we're, we're not to Redfield yet. And we were right outside of Aberdeen. <laughs> I mean, I did not remember driving the oh. rest of the way. So, uh, and then later, I guess Marcy, can, <laughs> our sister was with us too, and she was in high school, and she said, well, I wasn't taking no-dose. I was taking Viverin, is that what it was called? Something like that. Can't remember. You're right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's as close as we came. But to, to tell you that we weren't on the fringe of, of seeing the stuff or weren't offered mm-hmm. to us, it was all the time. But uh, I guess we were so dedicated, I don't know what, what you'd say. Do you think it mattered that you guys were family together? That may have had some. Well, I think part yeah, because he would have told everything that I ever did, <laughs> right. and then we'd be sitting here fifty years later and say, "By the way, do you remember when Neil, when, when you were so high, you went up the mountain there?" <laughs> so we blame that on Tourette's now. <laughs> yes, here's yes, your Tourette's syndrome will kick in. There. Right. Though, though, I need to tell the story where we did have some troubles with Johnny Law watching us. Uh, we were pretty young. And some of the clubs you played, you had to be 21 to be in because of state law. And there were some places where you could be 18 and play. And I was 20, wishing I was 21. So we went out to Wyoming. and uh, Gillette, Wyoming. Yep, we played played the first night, and uh, the sheriff came in, asked to see IDs. Well, actually, no, he asked our ages. And we also were, we're all 21. <laughs> and he looked at us, and he looked at me, and he says, I'm coming back tomorrow night, boys. And I'll be asking for IDs. So he left, and now we got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we tried to uh, 
uh, have me play outside. We had, a, I think, a Winnebago at that time we were traveling yeah. in. So we extended. I see the puzzled look in your face. How could this ever work? <laughs> and it didn't get to the end of the story. <laughs> right, <good. laughs> but we probably created a 50 to 100 foot long cord for my bass to mm -hmm. reach my amplifier. And then the idea was for me to stand play, outside, stand outside <laughs> and play. <laughs> a great idea <laughs> yeah except uh i was like three counts behind everything by the oh, time the music right. got there <laughs> and so we lasted that one night and that was that was the end of playing in wyoming <laughs> so they didn't um even though you were the entertainment everyone in the building had to be a certain age yeah okay. that, that was the law and there had been some trouble in that bar the previous mm -hmm. week and so the sheriff had told the owner that he was going to have to crack down on the uh the age, wow. even if we weren't drinking. This is the big boom period for Gillette, Wyoming. Uh, the ratio was probably 40 guys to one woman, one oh. woman out there. And so we played quite a bit, actually, out there. Uh, that was the same bar that when we were playing there, the first night the bar owner came up to me and said, you do have a gun, right? <laughs> and I said, huh? He says, I would suggest that you put a gun in the behind your amplifier there because... There's a chance you might need it here. Now, I don't know if he was kidding me or not. And then the next night we got fired. <laughs> we were fired a number of times. Not too many people because there were kind of funny things that happened to us. Um, we, we played, uh, Sam Gibbs booked us into, and Sam Gibbs had a huge, huge area that he covered. Booked us into, uh, what was the name of the place in Cheyenne? The Mayflower. The oh, Mayflower. Yep. And it was one of the biggest bars there. And we went and played the first night. And... Uh, these two people sat in front of us all the time, and uh, the bar owner said, I think you need to sit down with these folks and talk to them. Well, we literally know the influence that they had. We didn't do that, unfortunately. I may have went over and said hello. And uh, the next night we came, and by golly, all of our stuff is off of the stage, and there's over there. And uh, I called up Mr. Gibbs, and he said, well, you've been fired. He said, evidently, there's two people in the club that didn't like you guys. The club, the people we didn't talk wow. to. Wow. Yeah. You want to talk? You want to tell them about a story about getting fired in Aberdeen? Oh well, we yeah sure. <laughs> well, we were playing in Aberdeen, and like I say, Neil and I we we didn't just get up and play four hours of music. We fancied ourselves as entertainers, mm -hmm. so we would tell jokes and wisecracks, and that was okay. But it kept getting bigger and bigger, so <laughs> we started doing a little skit with uh, me being Dean Martin. And Dean Martin at that time had his television show, and he would always open the show by coming down this uh, fireman's pole and saying hi to everybody and then pretending he was having a drink, or he probably was. But uh, <laughs> right. So we tried to replicate that by having me slide down the microphone stand. <laughs> well, once <laughs> on, on my way down... I managed to grab a hold of the cord and rip that out of the microphone. And then I fell down and tipped over the microphone on top of me. And I'm laying on the, the stage <laughs> with my guitar on top of me and the microphone on top of me and no longer functioning. Now, we thought that was actually hilarious. <laughs> uh, but the, the owner did not. Mm. You were there and, to play your music. Yeah, That's to, what he said, actually. He said, I hired musicians. Oh. Not... <laughs> Not a variety show. <laughs> yep. And he said, we were more like magicians. He says, uh, the more jokes you tell, the people start disappearing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so we, well. we did kind of 
cut that out of our act after that. <laughs> we, we wanted to be Tommy and Dickie Smothers. And <laughs> didn't work very well. We had a wonderful time. It, it was fun. And we're having fun last night. We played mm-hmm. uh, over in South Shore, and we just had a great time. We had a full house there, and uh, doggone, it was fun. And you're playing tonight? We're going down Correct. to play at the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame in Lenox for South, South Dakota Country Music Hall okay. of Fame. We're playing down there tonight. And you guys are in that correct no we're you're not you're no. not inducted we have been that? nominated oh. but uh, they're going to announce who's in tonight oh well well so who do we call <laughs> i'll give you the name <laughs> well that's we've, cool we've had you know i think the unique part was that it was all family at one time and i think that may have helped us even when we uh, when my dad walked in with attractions incorporated because you know you've got my wife played piano jenny played mm-hmm. piano i played guitar Terry's wife played drums, Deanna, um, Terry bass guitar, Kim married our sister, and Marcy plays uh, tambourine and sang vocals, and Kim played steel and lead and all that. And so we had quite a variety show, and we did do a lot of different types of music. We were doing, towards the end there, we kind of strayed away because when you go into a club, you had to play a little a variety of everything. You weren't going to survive. And we, mm-hmm. at the end there, we were playing a lot of Elks clubs and things like that. So if you came to see us, you might see us do a bunny hop because we knew how to do it. <laughs> and in the same time, you might, uh, you know, Henry VIII would come out as the next song. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it, it's been fun. And the reunion tours have been fun. We saw so many cool people that hadn't seen in years yeah. and years. So we're working on a date to come to Millbank. Awesome. I, heard, I saw a rumor possibly in September. Yes. Is this true? We're hoping for it. And we, we have come up with a way of practicing that, that maybe other dysfunctional bands like the Beatles were using towards the end because uh, they would never get together. Now, now we're not getting together because we're dysfunctional. It's that we live, live 2,000 miles right. apart. Well, maybe we are but, dysfunctional. <laughs> don't know for sure. Our, our idea of putting a song together is sending an email and saying, hey, I want to sing uh, uh, Sing in the Blues by an old Marty Robbins hit. And... Uh, so Neil would come back. So what key are you going to do that in? So I tell him the key, and then my brother-in-law Kim would say, "Well, where do you want to break on that thing?" So I know what to prepare. And so we send all these emails, and then we start practicing individually. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we get together about two hours before the show, and hope we have enough time to run through these songs before we. we yeah, do almost the show. everything we did last wow. night, uh, we had not played together as a band since last year when we did it. So I think that's kind of amazing because I when we're standing up there and I'll go one two three and the whole band comes alive and <laughs> and we haven't played together you yeah. know it's it's kind of cool and you fall into it mm-hmm. I mean Terry and I have been playing together since thirteen and eleven you know mm-hmm. so we can almost look at each other the only thing that I've noticed changed a lot is the chords my voice has went much lower than it used to be and I think your probably has too hasn't mm-hmm. it. Hmm. Not on key fun. anymore either. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, in, in country music, Terry, when you when you sing off key, it's called harmony. Yeah. <laughs> right, yes. It's like jazz. You'll get there. Just keep moving around. <laughs> Eventually. Um, hey, thanks for having absolutely, us. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have uh, what's your favorite song you guys have played over the years? Oh wow. Do you have one? Well, I, I if if you ask me who my favorite artist is, a lot okay. of people say, "Oh, it's Elvis Presley," because we do a lot of Elvis stuff. It actually Buck Owens is my favorite country artist, and so anytime I'm asked to do a song and I'm not prepared, I grab a Buck Owens song. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite artist, Neil? Hank Williams. Probably. Probably. 
But I don't know. I, I tell people that I like Hank Williams, and then after hearing all his songs, I was depressed for 25 years. <laughs> but <laughs> favorite, I, it was to me, it was always more about a favorite artist more than a favorite song. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the era where we were playing, I mean, this was the, the time period where Charlie Pride, Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard uh, just dominated the charts, everything they put out. They took turns being number one on the charts, and so we did a lot of their their records and stuff back then. And of course, the female artists back then were uh, Loretta Lynn and Tammy Wynette uh, and things like that. And so it was more artist dominated than a favorite song. Mm. But well, uh, if you have one more, I'd like to end on <clears throat> send send out on a what on do a you want tune to say? you guys have, but. Uh, thanks for coming in. And so tomorrow, or tonight, today is April 27, 2019. You're going to be playing at the South Dakota Country Music Hall of Fame this evening. Yes. Where they're going to be announcing the, the latest o- inductees. Yep, 6 o'clock the music starts, oh. and uh, the announcements are at 7 o'clock. Uh, they have a really great gal that's in charge of the whole operation. Her name is Winnie Iverson. Mm-hmm. And we encourage you to, to stop in at Lenox. It's, it's a museum in development, if that's awesome. the way you'd say that. And I've sent some of the uh, memorabilia that I'd collected over the years down there, so she she's got that on display. And there's a lot of lot of musicians all across the South Dakota that are in there. I think they've been doing this for ten or twelve years, something like that. So wow. we're looking forward to That's being cool. here tonight. Yeah. Well, Neil and Terry, thank you for coming in. That's huge. Um, I appreciate you guys taking the time. I know you were up late last night. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Thank you so much. Let's send this, let's send this, this song is, uh, out to the ladies. How's that? <laughs> What's it going to be? This How about is, a little Hey Good Looking? This is the interview okay. on the Y Millbank Podcast Network, The Sons of the West. Hey, hey, good looking. Hey, what you got cooking? Hey, how's about cooking something up with me? Hey, hey, sweet baby. Hey, don't you think maybe? How about keeping steady company? I got hot rod forward and a two dollar bill. I know a spot right over the hill. There's soda pop and the dancing freeze. So if you wanna have fun, come along with me saying, hey, good looking. Hey, what you got cooking? Hey, how's about cooking something up? How's about cooking something up? How's about cooking something up with me? Thank you, Craig.